Welcome, 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 and welcome to a 2019, the number one, the first edition Offensive Interference Podcast presented by FootballGamePlan.com. I'm Gene Clemens. You can follow me on Twitter at Gene Clemens, on Instagram at Gene Clemens, on anything else that might be a social media platform at Gene Clemens. If you're joining me, you're joining me because you want the straight biz, you're not into nuance and all this other ridiculousness that people might try to feed you. We're going to continue to do that in 2019, and we're going to continue to expand. And, and as trial and error goes on and the show goes on, we'll continue to change things that we want to see changed because it's my podcast and I'll do what I want. One thing I want to do every time that I join you is bang this table. And right now I'm going to bang the table for Lamar Jackson. Um, I reached out to you on Twitter and asked you, what would you like to hear me banging the table on? People wanted me to bang the table for Lamar Jackson. And God dang it, I'm going to do that. I just don't understand what they want. And by they, I mean all of the people. You know who they are. During the season, um, last year, during the college football season, they were like, well, you know, Lamar Jackson just... You know, he has to show some improvement. He has to get better at, you know, throwing the ball and reading coverages and coming off of his first read and all of the cliche stuff that they say about black quarterbacks when they want to try to diminish their value. Um, the truth is, is that he did all those things. And was his completion percentage lower than a Baker Mayfield's? Yes. Was his production better? Absolutely. Because even if, and I tell people all the time, even if you take away all of the rushing statistics that Lamar Jackson accumulated in college, his passing statistics, they hold up with everyone else with the exception of completion percentage. And where you lose me on completion percentage is that no one seemed to care that Josh Allen could not hit the broad side of a barn. So I don't know why it was such an issue with Lamar Jackson whose completion percentage continued to increase every single year. He was a starting quarterback. That is from high school all the way through college. Now we get to the pros this year, and everybody says, all of these people are saying, well, Lamar Jackson, he's a, he might be a wide receiver. He That might be his best position. He's so dynamic with the ball in his hands as a runner. We don't know about him as a passer. We don't know if he can digest a pro-level offense. So he goes towards the end of the first round. Meanwhile, you watch Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen all go ahead of him. And then you see the season begin to play out. And you watch Josh Allen struggle mightily at the beginning of the year. You watch Josh Rosen struggle mightily all year when he got his opportunity. You watch Sam Darnold have some signs of of life, but overall struggle mightily throughout the entire year. You watched Baker Mayfield play solid. He played a solid football game this year. He was he was he was what you want out of an NFL caliber quarterback. Did he th- did he turn the ball over too much? Probably. Is that something he can improve on? Absolutely. Is he the next coming of of Steve Young? Absolutely not. And I'm not here to bag on Baker Mayfield, but I'm trying to understand because I keep hearing on Twitter and on 
in different social media platforms. I see it on TV. I hear it on radio. Well, Baker Mayfield has changed the culture of, of, of Browns football. He changed the culture of Browns football. Aren't they're still doing the same stuff they were doing before him? The only difference is, is now they're winning. And if you think that's because Baker Mayfield came along, okay, I'll give it to you if, you, if that's what you believe. I personally believe that they were due to start winning anyway if you look at the first two games of the season when they tied the Steelers and then they lost their next game by a field goal versus um, New Orleans, I believe. They were on the way to winning before Baker Mayfield ever became the starting quarterback. Now look at Lamar Jackson. He took over a 4-5 and five team whose offense was sputtering. They were averaging a little bit over 100 yards of rushing before he took over. He comes in. He not only elevates the rushing attack threefold, but he takes them from a 4-5 and five team to a playoff team. He goes 6-1 and one in his seven starts. He takes, he takes the L.A. Chargers and he beats them. He takes the Kansas City Chiefs right to the brink. And quiet as it's kept, he should have won that game. They should have won that game. He should be sitting at 7-0 right now. Now, what does changing a culture mean? Does it mean changing the way things are done? Because if that's the case, Lamar Jackson has changed the culture of what the Baltimore Ravens do. They no longer rely on Joe Flacco to throw the ball deep over the top to somebody. You know why? Because they don't have those guys. He's changed the culture. He's taking the running back position and made it valuable again. He's running the ball. He's allowed an offensive coordinator to become more creative with his play calling. There's dynamics that he can bring to the table that we haven't even explored yet. And yet, all I keep hearing is Baker Mayfield has changed the culture. Well, excuse me, if you go from a non-playoff team to a playoff team, isn't that changing something? I believe so. And therefore, I'm going to bang this table for Lamar Jackson and let everybody know that he is the man that he is, and he probably should be Rookie of the Year. Now, I'm not silly. I mean, obviously, I think that um, Saquon Barkley has been phenomenal this year, and he's definitely um, worthy of Rookie of the Year. Uh, I, I think that if Saquon had not been as dynamic as he was. There's a good argument that could be made for Baker Mayfield as Rookie of the Year. But neither one of them has had the impact of Lamar Jackson. And so if you're going Offensive Rookie of the Year, I'll give it to Saquon, but I'm going to bang this table that Lamar Jackson has changed the culture. And if you're going to change a culture, then you should be respected as someone who changes a culture. That's what he's done. Nobody wants to play Baltimore because no one wants to be the team where they actually let Lamar Jackson throw the ball. Imagine this. Oh, my God. Lamar Jackson walks up to the line. He's got his running back and he's got a slot guy coming in motion. You've got to play the jet. You've got to play the north-south run. 
you got to be prepared for the QB to pull the ball, and you have to be afraid that he's going to bang that tight end running up the seam or that wide receiver on the dig route behind you. That is an impossible thing for a defensive coordinator to prepare for. It's an impossible thing for a defensive player to prepare for. They don't like it. The same things that work in college, ladies and gentlemen, they work in the NFL. And you know how I know? Because the New England Patriots has killed the league. They have killed the league running a college offense and masquerading it behind the fact that Tom Brady can't run, so it must be a pro-style offense. They have killed the league because the league has not realized that most of what Tom Brady's doing is catching the ball, getting the ball out of his hands, the playmakers quick, and letting them do work. That is exactly what they do in college-style offenses. That is nothing new. It wasn't new when Bill Walsh brought it to the 49ers. It wasn't new when they started running the Wildcat with running backs. And it's not new now that they have Lamar Jackson doing these types of things from the quarterback position. The difference is, is Lamar Jackson is a special athlete. And because he's special, because he's talented as an athlete, it makes him that much better as a quarterback. If you extrapolate the numbers out, his numbers would look ridiculous this year. Something around like 12, 1,300 yards rushing, over 2,000 yards passing, 2,500 yards passing maybe, close to 3,000 if you know we're really doing the numbers on it. Those are ridiculous numbers. And yet, all I keep hearing is Baker Mayfield changed the culture. Well, you can miss me with the BS. I'll take Lamar Jackson and I'll bang this table for him all the time. Manny Diaz had a very interesting time recently. He, you know, took his talents up to Philadelphia to become the head football coach at Temple, which, by the way, Temple's become the place where coaches go to get a really good job, except they don't seem to do a really good job when they get that really good job. I'm wondering why people keep looking at Temple as, oh, well, if they can do it at Temple, they can do it anywhere. I find it interesting because I don't quite get the the thought process that Temple has somehow become the breeding ground for coaches. I know for a long time it was the Mac and you know, maybe um, they, that Temple's that new hotness. Um, but those Mac schools, those Mac schools were balling. And those Mac schools are doing their things. And those coaches actually went on from those Mac schools and did some really good things. Um, shout out to Dino Babers up at Syracuse right now. But Manny Diaz took his talent to Temple after Temple lost yet another head coach who left Temple to go to Georgia Tech. Good luck, son. You're going to need it. And almost as soon as Manny Diaz left, Mark Rick, Miami alumnus, by the way, Miami you, Miami fans, y'all are an alumni. Y'all are just so disrespectful. I mean, Mark Rick is one of you. He's one of you. 
And yet, you just decide to disrespect him and call him out his name and, you know, make it seem as if you never wanted him or you wanted him gone or you want... Like, man, like the, the utter disrespect for a good guy, Mark Rick. But Mark Rick just up and decided, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm taking my... Taking my ball, I'm going home. And I can't necessarily blame him. What is what does he have to prove? If his mission is to help people, if his mission is to be a positive role model in people's lives, he can do that without the stress and the strain of college football. Now, if he if his mission is to coach young men and make them the best they can be, then guess what, brother, you quit. But, you know, when he when he shut it down, Manny Diaz all of a sudden decided, oh, snap. Well, I mean, since this place that I just came from that's way better than Temple just came open, I'm going to go back there and be the head coach. There's only one problem. Manny Diaz left after signing several players to play for him and Temple during this early signing period. It's typical. It's what it's, it's, it's the state of college sports. Let's lock the player in. Let's give loopholes for the coach to leave. Let's lock the player in. Make sure the player can't leave. Let's make loopholes for the coaches to go. What if they had a thing where if a school wanted, they could pay another school for their, for their out clause? Because I'm thinking to myself, like, Florida, Florida loses a coach. You know, a guy was going in between Florida and Florida State. The coach just gets to leave. The player has to stay. That's not fair. But what if Florida State just came along and said, hey, you know what? We really want this kid. We'll give you the five grand to get the kid out of the um out of their scholarship. Or we'll give you the 17 grand. They're paying millions for coaches. Millions. Miami had to pay a four million dollar exit clause or a four million dollar buyout for Manny Diaz who was on the job for less than a month. Manny Diaz essentially got paid by, by, by Temple, flipped, got paid by Miami. Miami. Temple made money off of the transaction because they just got $4 million in the pocket. No players getting anything. Those players that signed with Temple, they can't go anywhere. Those players that signed early with Miami because they wanted to play for Mark Rick because Mark Rick was like a father figure. Now they've got Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz is not like a father figure. Always skewed towards, oh, well, these adults who make the money continue making money. You kids who don't make anything, guess what? You're on your own. And I know, I know, I know they get a they get a they get an education. They get their education paid for. 
Oh my God, they get their education paid for. I don't know a Fortune 500 company that won't pay for one of their most talented, one of their most brightest to be educated in order for it to better to better serve them in their job. This, oh, where they're getting an education stuff is ridiculous. Pianists are getting an education. Pianists are having their education paid for in college. That drummer's having his education paid for. That person who sings in the band, I mean in the choir, they're having their education paid for. The, the, the person in the science lab, their education's paid for, but you know what they can do while they're receiving a free education? They can make money off of the things that they're receiving the free education to do. A pianist that's in college can go work as a pianist while they're getting scholarship money from a college, yet a football player can't do football things outside of the school without being deemed ineligible. And with that being said, everybody has an issue with these kids or with these players, these young men staying out of bowl games. Hell, honestly, I have a personal problem with it. I don't have a professional problem with it, but I have a personal problem with it. But I can't blame them because I understand that the pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow is one you can't afford to screw up. It doesn't matter if you can heal from an injury. If you get injured, your draft stop drops. So now we sit at this point where LSU plays a UCF team with eight starters out, with several of them sitting out because they believe they're going to be top picks. I have a really easy solution to this. You ready for it? Colleges. All this money you have, you want your kids to play in bowl games, pay for their insurance so that if they get hurt, they receive compensation. And I don't mean like they receive like a $30,000. I mean they receive a few million dollars if they get hurt playing in your bowl game. Incentivize these kids to play for you. Reward them for their dedication. Reward them for being loyal to you in a bowl game that makes you money that makes your conference money, that makes that um, sponsor money, that makes that bowl money, but does not do anything for them. Nothing. By the time bowl games get there, evaluators aren't even evaluating the game. So many evaluators don't look to bowl games for evaluations. And they don't because they understand that many times those players don't want to be there. Those schools might not want to be there. So if you want your player to play, it's easy. Take that insurance policy out on them. You want Ed Oliver to play all year, Houston? Instead of going and giving Dana Hogerson $5 million a year, how about you pay for that man, for that man to have a little insurance so that if he gets hurt in the season... He's, he's protected. 
You want Greedy Williams to play LSU? Pay for that insurance. Make them feel whole. Make them feel secure. And I guarantee you, you'll see those players come back to the fold. Because a bird in the hand is always better than two in a bush. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. The Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists were announced. And um, I think it's interesting when you when you look at these pro, the Pro Football Hall of Fame because, quite honestly, I don't think they do the best job of putting legit Hall of Famers in either when they should be in or maybe there's too many of them in. So I like to play a little game, and I want to play it with you right now. It's I, I just say the name. Say the name. And if you say the name and that's a Hall of Famer in your brain, immediately you just say Hall of Fame. If not, most likely they're a Hall of Very Good. And a Hall of Very Good is full of some really awesome players. Um, but, but the Hall of Fame is supposed to be for people who are special. Um, I've had arguments about Gail Sayers and people say, well, you know, he was special. And, and then I go, okay, well, Bo Jackson was special. And they go, yeah, but he didn't do it very long. And I go, well, neither did Gail Sayers. What are we talking about here? Um, you know, so I, I think you have to understand a criteria. So I'll give you my criteria. I say the name is a Hall of Fame. Not Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, I go back and, and look at the career. Were they ever considered the best at what they did? Especially for players. Now, coaches and, you know, that those get harder. People outside of the players, it gets a little more difficult. But for a player, were you ever considered the best at what you did at that particular time? So I look at guys like, let's say, um, you know, the the the, the quote unquote golden age of receivers, the the Jerry Rice, Michael Irving, um. You know, Art Monk and 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 I think Bad Moon Rising was in there and um um Chris Carter and you know the, those those legends and I, I'm forgetting people obviously, you know. Um Buffalo um the, the, every team almost had a A wide receiver who was really, really, really good, Sterling Sharp and so like Obviously, you say Jerry Rice and Hall of Famer. You know, you say Michael Irvin. You say Hall of Famer. You say, you know, um, you, you say Tim Brown. You say Hall of Famer. You say Chris Carter. You say Hall of Famer. You say Art Monk. You go, and he was really good. So then you go to that second argument. Was he ever the best? No. He wasn't because Jerry Rice was the best. Um, you know, Michael Irvin, people consider him the best. Some people consider Chris Carter the best. Um, some people um, looked at Sterling Sharp and was like, you know, for that time that Sterling Sharp did what he did, he did it better than everybody else. Um, Rod Smith is another guy. Man, he was really, really good, but was he ever the best? And, and so I think when you do that, you give yourself an opportunity to make a better argument than trying to listen to somebody give you this whole, I can make anybody look good, man. 
My makeup game is fantastic when it comes to talking someone up. I can make you look good, but sometimes it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be that that difficult. Sometimes you just have to ask those two questions. When I say his name, does it, do I think Hall of Famer? And if I don't, was he ever the best? For a particular point in time, was he ever the best? So we're gonna look at the fan we're gonna look down at the at the Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists, and I'm going to keep the coaches out of it and because I just don't want to deal with them. Um, you know, you can make your own decisions on coaches. I don't really care, to be honest with you. As a coach, I've never thought about ever being a Hall of Fame coach. I just wanted to be a good coach. Um, the game is about the players, it's not about the coaches. And so you want to make it about who it's supposed to be about the players. Um, to me, there's two shut it down for sure. It's over. They're getting in guys. Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer. Ed Reed, Hall of Famer. Ed Reed, in my mind, is the greatest safety of all time. Um, you can at me. I don't care. I'll debate anybody. Ed Reed, greatest safety of all time. Probably one of the, the best football IQs. Got the most out of his body. Um, hands of a receiver, anticipation, jump, explosion, Ed Reed. Tony Gonzalez goes without saying, obviously. I mean, he essentially is the, the poster child for not only playing well and being the quintessential pass-catching tight end, but doing it for an extremely long time at a high level. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he's he's a no-brainer. Champ Bailey. I think Hall of Famer when I think Champ Bailey. It's easy for me. Um, he was the best corner in the league for many years when he was in the league. So I think it fills both of my criteria. Isaac Bruce, not going to be able to do it. Shout out to Jalen Rose. Um, I just don't believe that Isaac Bruce was ever the best receiver in the game. And while his numbers are impressive, there are just so many people whose numbers are impressive. It's hard for me to, you know, it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, he's definitely in. I mean, he had the the greatest, I think maybe the greatest yardage or, you know, full overall statistical year, you know, that, um, that year he had 119 balls and 1,700 something yards and double digit touchdowns. But even then, he wasn't the best receiver in the game. And so I think that matters and I think that keeps him out because of that. Edrin James, off the rip, I say, I don't know, because I, it, it makes me question how long he did it for. And then I, I start to ask myself the question was he ever the best back? in football and I go as much as I love Edron James I don't think he was was he top two Peyton possibly so he's got a chance to get in but on me for me nah the game can be the game can be written without him um and because of that I don't think so although it is impressive four four years of 1500 yards rushing um, 
that's that's just that that's that's awesome. Um, Richard Seymour, I say yes. Richard Seymour was one of those guys who was dominant at two different positions, at DN and at D tackle. When you're dominant at multiple positions, I definitely think that you get the nod over others. Steve Atwater. I'm inclined to say yes. I'm inclined to say yes. I mean, three Super Bowl appearances all around. He could be a strong safety. He could be a free safety. Tony Baselli, to me, Hall of Famer. I don't care how long he played. He was the most dominant offensive lineman in the game. When he played, I don't care how long he plays. He's a Hall of Famer. Alan Fanica. It's just so hard. There's a lot of guards. I mean, Alan Fanica and Steve Hutchinson are both together. I think they cancel each other out. I'll wait till another year, I guess. I don't know. I don't. You got to put a guard in, I guess. If you're going to put a guard in, I just don't think this is the year. Ty Law, John Lynch. Both are really good. Neither one of them are Hall of Famers in my book. Kevin Mawai is a Hall of Fame center. To me, I think Kevin Mawai is a Hall of Fame center. Now, for the rest of you, it might be, okay, well, center's not valued as much. But for me, Kevin Mawai, he's a Hall of Famer. And, and you know, um... I look at it and I go, there's some people who are not on there that I I think, you know, people argue about. I think there's a couple Cowboys or at least mostly Cowboys when you're talking about um, Darren Woodson and Jimmy Johnson. I will say this about Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson's a Hall of Famer. I don't know what, I don't know what people are doing. Jimmy Johnson is a Hall of Fame coach. You can even go as far as to say Jimmy Johnson is a more influential coach than many of the coaches that are actually in the Hall of Fame right now. Jimmy Johnson's that man. I don't know why he's not in. Um, I don't know why he's still sitting around, but he'll get that call eventually because he's a Hall of Famer. But that's how I do it. You know, are you a pro? Are you a Hall of Famer? You're not. I don't try to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, I, I don't try to overthink it. If I look at you and I say he's a Hall of Famer, most likely you're a Hall of Famer. I'm 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 rarely wrong about these things in my own mind. <laughs> College football signing day is is fast approaching, and it's no disrespect to any other sports signing day, but obviously, football signing day reigns supreme. And and I'm all about these young men having their opportunity to get their flowers. Now, because there's no guarantee that they're going to be stars in college. There's no guarantee they're going to be stars in college. There's no guarantee they're going to get an opportunity to play in college. So if they want to be celebrated in high school, I'm all for that. But I would tell these young men, and I'm, I'm talking to all of you out there who, who still haven't written your name on the dotted line, or even if you have, make better decisions when it comes to the business of football. I know, I know. It's fantastic to say you went to Alabama. It's fantastic to say you went to Georgia or Florida State. or But if you know, if you know that there's an uphill battle for you to get on the field at one of those places, 
Why not go somewhere else? If you go to Florida and you're a wide receiver and Florida hasn't had a good quarterback in God knows how long, what are you doing? If you go to Florida State and you're a quarterback and you know that Florida State hasn't put a quality offensive line on the on the field in a long time, what are you doing? Stop chasing, stop chasing the names and the recognition and the fame of it and work on how can I put myself in the best position to get that money? After high school, it is not love of the game anymore. After high school, it is a love of the game mixed with an opportunity to better your situation through the sport. I know you love Alabama. I know you do. But there's only so many people can get on the field for Alabama at a time. You know who would love you? Every other every other program in the nation. Every other program in the nation. Go to USC. And I'm talking about South Carolina. You make it to the league at South Carolina the same way you do at Alabama. You make it to the league at Ole Miss the same way you do at Alabama. You have to stop chasing the name and start thinking about this as a business. Every coach wants the top talent because they want to stockpile it. The more five stars Alabama has, the less five stars Auburn has. The more five stars Georgia has, the less five stars Florida has. They're trying to stockpile talent. Because the difference between a five-star and somebody who may have no stars, the difference between the guy someone evaluated as a five-star pick who never makes it and the guy someone evaluated as a three-star, no stars, and they make it, is the exact same thing. It's desire and it's heart and it's decision-making. You know what? That three-star, no-star went to Bowling Green and got an opportunity to play early and honed his skills and became one of the best cornerbacks, linebackers, wide receivers, DB, um, offensive linemen, running backs in the nation. That person that went to Alabama, highly touted, had to sit behind everybody else that was highly touted and waited for other people to come in who were highly touted and compete and fight and probably never got an opportunity to fully develop their skills. If you're a wide receiver and you're going to LSU right now, you're dumb. Like, why are you going to LSU? When was the last time that they put a passer who was a legit threat to get people the ball all the time on the field? When have they had an offense that was dynamic enough to really warn a wide receiver? Now, if you're Odell Beckham, go wherever you want. Right? If you're Odell Beckham, go whatever you want. You're gonna be you're gonna be found. But most are not Odell Beckham. I'm telling you, gentlemen, you have to make better decisions. The point is to play. Get on the field as fast as possible. 
Make your mark as fast as possible. Become draft eligible as fast as possible. Become draft worthy as fast as possible. And get out of college with a degree. Because you can you can get a degree these days in two and a half years. You just have to be smart. I'm telling you, fellas, we got to make better decisions. You're leaving it up to people who don't have your best interest at heart. They have the team's best interest at heart. They have their best interest at heart. And they should. That's their job. You need to have your best interest at heart. And that is stop chasing the the, the glory. Stop chasing the name. Stop just trying to go to winning teams. Go and find a place to, to build a winning culture at. Bring some people with you. Form your own identity. Go down in history. Secure the bag. That's my time for the day, ladies and gentlemen. I want to, again, thank you for joining us on this Offensive Interference Podcast. Um, if, you, if you're listening, rate us. Give us a five-star rating. Um, there's no other stars. Just give us a five-star rating. Um, make suggestions. You can follow me at Gene Clemens on Twitter, on Instagram, anywhere else that there's a media platform. Hit me up. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear. If you have any topics that you want to, you know, discuss. If you have people that you think are interesting people that I should have on the pod, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get people on. Until then, be good to yourselves. Don't rob nobody. Don't let nobody rob you. I'll holler at you on the other side.